Hallelujah. Yesterday we gave a profile of him. He is an astute minister of the gospel, a prolific writer, and a conference speaker. He is an academic. Hallelujah. And a professor of books. Hallelujah. With a clap offering unto Jesus, we want to welcome right Reverend Professor Safo Kantanka. Give a clap offering unto Jesus. Good evening once more. We thank God that we're able to make it, maybe just on time. <laughs> um, it will not take much time, but just enter into what we have to be discussing today. What we are doing, um, at least yesterday and today, we are, what we are doing is to uh, stimulate our minds, as Peter will say, to hold some uh, thinking. Um, something that will help us to be able to uh, look at the whole issue of of poverty in Africa and in our land. And hopefully, and I pray that uh, you yourself will begin to examine um, the way you see uh, yourself and uh, your attitude towards uh, prosperity to us well. Um, some people are, are complacent with the little that they have been able to achieve. But we want to stir ourselves up and say that what you have been able to achieve, you can do more than that and give glory to God. Hallelujah. Today I'm going to talk about what I call Biblical solutions to Africa's poverty problems. Biblical solutions to Africa's poverty problem. If we want to recap just a few points of what we said yesterday, we began with Jesus' statement saying that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What is the truth about prosperity? What does the Lord want for his children so far as their money matters are concerned? You shall know the truth. And Jesus was actually speaking to, the Bible says he spoke to the Jews who had believed in him. So it was people who have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he was advising that you have certain attitudes and certain things that have, have served as what, a bondage for you. You know, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the Jews, there was so much that they knew, which was not helping them. The other time I was thinking about Jesus and the way he wanted changes to take place. One of them, he said, is like, um, what do you call it? Leaven, or what do you call it? Yeast, is it? Yeah. When yeast is affecting bread, you don't see it. All that you see is that the bread has, it's become big, and so on. You never see it, but the reactions are going on. That's one way. One picture Jesus gives to us about how we influence society. Another way he gives us also is like the mustard seed. It's very, very small, but when it grows, it becomes so big, and the birds of the air come to enjoy the shade in the mustard seed, which has grown to be a big tree. That's the way the kingdom grows. But another picture he gave to us also is that you cannot put new wine into what? Into old wine skins. There will be a disruption. And sometimes, certain establishments, certain ideas which we have, which have become kind of normal for us, needs to be what? 
thrown overboard if we really want to see change taking place. So all these three approaches, he mentioned that there may be even more, but I was thinking about these things, that we need to begin to examine our thoughts and see in which areas do we need to do what? The old wine, new, new wine, old wine skin, and throw things away. In which areas do we need to do it like that? The mustard seed. And in which areas do we need to do it like the, the, the yeast? I mentioned yesterday, or I keep on establishing, that our salvation includes both spiritual and material blessings. And I think this we need to accept. We need to accept. We need to move away from the concept which you hear all over the place. And I'm only saying that all my way there now will be and all those kinds of things. And when we go to uh, uh, what funerals, all you hear people saying, "Go to mochi na and all those kinds of things. They are part of life. The other time I was preaching and said, factor death into your planning. Factor your death into your planning. Because it's inevitable. And it will come. And it's even because it is inevitable that there is always an urgency about what we need to do. Because the Bible says, there is nothing that we do there. So if you have anything to do, look, do it now. If you have some money to gather, you have some projects to accomplish, you have some building projects to do, you have someone to take care in, in, in an educational institution, don't postpone it. Because death may what? Shatter all those dreams that you have. The agency, um, the reality of death, the inevitability of death, puts even an agency Upon us. When Jesus was doing his ministry, they say, Oh, I say, No, I must go on. And because I came for all other places as well. So we should not fear death. Yesterday we also mentioned that the whole message of the Old Testament is a message of liberation. The people who were in bondage, and God sent his servant Moses to liberate them. So every group of people have their own problems that God has to do what? Liberate them from. If salvation reaches them. Everybody has their own. And I think Africa, we cannot run away from the fact that poverty is our bondage. And therefore if we are talking about uh, what? Getting away or the, the, the freedom that um, salvation brings then let's know that poverty is not for you or for any individual, for all of us to fight the problem of poverty. We need to fight it. We need to get Africa out of this problem. And we said yesterday that the Bible has a lot to teach us about how and why we must get out of our poverty. One passage in the Bible which I like most is Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. I like it very well in three. It says, "Say man wo mojane honam nti. Ono so fa mojane honam no bi se ne e be ya. Onam wo wo so e be tu obonsam a wo hu hu nti emra wo ti ase nyina awaye nkoa. The fear of death has made us what? Slaves to Satan. And when you are afraid, you are not free to do what you are capable of doing. And so when you come around us, you see that there is a bondage, there is a certain mindset, which what? Prevents us from venturing out, from attempting great things for the Lord, which will bring glory to the Lord. The fear of death. Yet the Bible says, Christ came to die to take away this fear so that we can be free. One of the books that I wrote long ago is Realize Your Potential. We need to realize our potential. Financially, we need to realize our potential. Academically, we need to realize our potential. Whatever God sets us to do, 
Christians don't do things little little so that everybody everybody else can do it. But we need to do things that everybody will say, if it had not been for the Lord, you could not have done this. So when you dream, dream big. That's one of the tunes I use for some of the broadcasts that I make. If you dream, dream big. Let us do great things. That will bring glory to the Lord. Let's cast away the fear that Satan has what, put us in. Tonight I'm going to emphasize about three or four things. The first one is, uh, if you are doing it, then go along with me. I'm, I think, on the third slide or something. Religion and civilization. One professor made a very important statement in his book, The Predicament of Modern Man, Professor Trueblood. He says, There cannot be any sustainable civilization without a religious basis. And then he asks, But not all religions lead to civilization. And I like that. There cannot be any sustainable civilization without a religious basis. And so in his book, he laments about the Western civilization, which he says it is the civilization of Christendom. And yet, he describes it as what? A cut flower civilization. A flower that has been cut from where? From its roots. What is going to happen to it? It's going to shrivel and die. So the basis of the civilization of the West, which we are all enjoying, the technology and all that, we're going to look at the Bible, we're going to look at the evidence tonight to say that it comes from what? From the Bible. And yet, humanism and secularism seem to have taken over. And so the civilization of America, of, of or what? of Europe and so on, does not have any Christian basis any longer. And therefore, it is on its way to wilt away. But at least we are going to learn that the civilization that is based on the Bible, if we have accepted the Bible, we have accepted the Christian religion, then by going by this and knowing that others have failed along the way, at least we can learn from them. But we don't have to sit down and not attempt anything when we say that we believe in the Bible. Yesterday I told you, I've written it in my book. What is the source of this prosperity that I see around? Queen Victoria lifted the Bible and said, this is the source of our prosperity. So we who believe in the Bible must at least, look, some of the things that I always say is that, let's think about it. Christianity in the form that we see it now in Africa is only 200 years old. Methodist Church, Danwell arrived at Cape Coast in 1835. So it will be 2035 that the Methodist Church was established in Ghana. It doesn't mean that we have, we have not interacted with our brothel, but the wave of evangelism that came across and brought Anglican, Anglican, Presbyterian, Methodist, and all those churches, really, was in the 1800s. So when we are in the 20s, we are just talking about 200 years. But how long has Christianity been in Europe? 2,000 years? Yes. Paul took the gospel to Rome, which was the center of the world. And spread it. That's why when he finished with his work, work in Ephesus, after all the mighty miracles that God did, he said, no, I must leave this place and go on to Jerusalem. From there, I will go to Rome. Because I don't want to build on other people's foundation. I want to go where the gospel has not reached. So over 2,000 years, by the time they brought the gospel, they have gone through the Industrial Revolution. They had gone through even the Reformation. They had gone through all kinds of things before they brought the gospel to us. In fact, for us too, there had been the slave trade and the colonization and the balkanization of Africa. 
before we see the gospel as it is now. But we don't need 2,000 years before the gospel can have the desired impact which we need so that we can move on. We don't need 2,000 years because the gospel... I think one of the greatest things that Abrofo did for us was that they brought the Bible and they brought education so we can read the Bible for ourselves. Now that we understand and we can read the Bible for ourselves, it is for me and you to really see what the Bible says about the problem we face, which is poverty, and how we can solve that problem. Let's go back to Professor Trueblood's statement that there cannot be any sustainable civilization without a religious basis. If you read even this guy's book, um, Singapore, what is his name? Uh, their first prime minister. From third world to first. I've forgotten his name. He gives credit to what? Confu- Confucianism. That he looked at the good things in Confucianism and used it. He provided good leadership. Lee, Lee, Lee Kuan Yew. That's, I think that's the name. So every religion... We need to examine whether traditional African religion can be the basis of moving us away from what? From poverty. The answer is what? A resounding no. The way we see the world. See, what Professor Trueblood is saying is that the way you see the world, your understanding of the world around you, determines how you approach the world. And how you approach the world will determine whether you become what, prosperous or not. So it's very, very important. The way you understand the world to be. Your worldview. The sad thing is that we become Christians, but our worldview rarely changes. And we remain the Africans that we are. We think about things in the same way that other people who are not Christians think about these things. And therefore, there is no real change. Because, you see, when we are talking about the worldview of a people, it is the core of their beliefs. It is what they see the world as it is. How do Africans see the world? The Europeans have moved away from the superstitious beliefs of what the world is. And that is why they are making progress. Why someone sits down and thinks about how he can send a machine to go and land on the moon because he thinks that it's possible because there are laws and they have seen the laws and therefore they can do it. Somebody in somewhere village in Africa is never dreaming of anything like that. He's dreaming of an entire permanent. He's dreaming about He's dreaming about all kinds of things which really do not enable that person to really think about how he can solve his own or her own sanitation problems. When he falls sick, he immediately begins to attribute it to all kinds of things rather than thinking about what have I done that has contributed to this? What is in my environment that has contributed to this? What is the cause of all of these things? So your mindset, your understanding of the world, really has a great impact on the kind of person that you can be and the way you can solve your own environmental problems. And that is why he's saying, a people's worldview, which is their religion, affects their civilization and what they can do. The next slide, well civilizations. I have written here, there have been many civilizations. The Western world civilization, which has engulfed the whole world, is a civilization of Christendom. I've already said this. So let's move on to the next slide. What is the core of the African worldview? I think I've already said this in passing. If you read my books, uh, one professor, a South African, Van, Van de Walter, said the African worldview is like, the oni- is like an onion. You know the onion. You can start peeling it from what? The outside. But the real onion 
which one you plant, or let's say the shallot, will what? Emerge. It's where? It's at the core. It's at the core. That is where the real onion is. So it's very easy for us to change the way we dress. It's very easy for us to move away from fufu and start eating, eating pizza. Those things are very, very, or uh, uh, rice and all those kinds of things. It's very, very easy. The way you dress, the way you shake your, your, your hair, the beard, and all those things, they are peripheral, what, issues. But when it comes to the real issues challenging your real existence, that's why we are dealing with the core issues of life, your worldview. And what is the African's worldview? For the African, everything is spiritual, period. Everything is spiritual. If somebody is 80 years, 90 years, whatever, and he dies, the question is not what disease killed him. All over the place, when there is an accident, nobody begins to ask the question, what was the state of mind of the driver? What was the state of the car that he was driving? What is the state of the road? And so on. It's simply because there is what? There is a baby involved. I'm not denying the existence of these things. But I'm saying that the core understanding of the African. So, when, when you have, we have people with that kind of mindset... And he's running through any misfortune. And the only way he can answer that misfortune is to look back. The Abusian is supposed to be what? A supporting system. So that if he's my Abusiani and I have need, he will support me. But for us, Abusian is what? He's a source of all our woes. So you hear this... Uh, you, you, I, I'm sure you also listen to some of these songs. I listen to them. And then every night, I also listen to the radio and the kinds of things people are reporting at the radio stations. And then you can begin to appreciate the way our people are thinking and looking at the world. There's so much of it that you only need to what? Open your eyes and your ears to really appreciate the way our people see the world. There are all kinds of songs that, that are there. Ampadu used to be an expert in this. You see? Fatalism. The mere fact that it was called the queen. Somebody will say, the friend of queen. So, but he says, because I was called by queen, they am fighting. And, 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 then, and, and then he sits there with this kind of attitude. This is the problem we are dealing with. This is the problem we are dealing with for the average person. And because of that mindset, it affects you. Even if you are not thinking that way. For the people that you are dealing with, that is the way they see things. Otherwise, how would anybody go to an Osofu and say, and then you will get these monies and so on. How can anybody tell somebody that when you get, and you get close to the bank, tell the bank, your money that are there are going to come to me. And all that. People are believing this. So, with this worldview of everything that is spiritual, then we have a problem. How does this affect the development of a people? Does the worldview change? Immediately you become a Christian, and that is a very important question. Does your worldview change? Immediately you become a Christian. The Bible has told us something. 
The next slide. Romans 12, verse 2. I like the way the African Christian Bible puts it. And I think I'll put it there and, 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 and on, the, on the tablet. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. Please, we are not only dealing with what? Moral issues. We are not only dealing with moral issues. We are dealing with the whole fabric of society and the way we see things, the way we think, and how it affects us. Yesterday I mentioned dependency syndrome, I mentioned what? Entitlement mentality and all those things. But when a person becomes a Christian, sometimes some of these things become worse. Because of the way they begin to think. But the Bible says, when you become a Christian, then let God transform you by changing the way you think. And that is why the Bible is there. Sometimes when you hear, you sit by the TV and so on, and you hear the kinds of things, one or so, I think he's in Kumasi somewhere here. And he was teaching in the church about what? Mwetia. I come to church and you are teaching me about what? Emuetia. And I have this illustration which I also saw. So the, the Osofo sees somebody and he says, Ah! So, if, if an African man goes to church and the prophet tells him that he is carrying a basket and that basket in it sees what? A heavy woman. His own mindset is that women are the witches. And then there's a woman that he is bearing. Ah, And yet, that is, you see, some of the charismatism and so on that is going on is deepening this what? Worldview of our people and it's making the situation what? Worse. In my book, I call it what? The demonization of the gospel. In the name of the gospel. Just knowing that some of these guys who are preaching, they almost in Krasi, so they know the way in Krasi for not journey. And they are using it. So, we are deepening our poverty. And by so means, they are making themselves rich. In the name of the gospel. So the gospel which liberates, now comes to what? Deepen the burden of the people. The Bible also says, when someone is in crisis, a new creature, the old has gone. The old has gone, not only in terms of what? Immorality and drinking and so can, all those kinds, but the core beliefs of the person. The Christian who is used to be lazy must have a new attitude towards work. Because there is a strong link between what? Laziness and poverty in the Bible. And so if someone is a Christian and his attitude towards work, his attitude towards time, his attitude, if you say African time and not what, European time and so on, then it means that the whole continent, our mindset about time has not what? Has not changed. But that is the only resource God has given the same to everybody everywhere on this globe. So we are dealing with what? A mindset change which will really bring the prosperity that we desire. But so far, we have not embarked on that. It seems to me that, yes, it's good that we talk about moral, moral issues and so on and so forth. But there are core issues that are not enabling our people to become what God's want, God wants them to be. The question we are asking is, when you become a Christian, you need to work with God. To be able to move yourself away from a lot of the things that our people are doing. The church must set away funerals and all those kinds of things and things that take our time and appear as if we, we really we, we don't understand what death really is. It's deepening. And how do you get out of poverty under these circumstances?
let me go on to the next slide. That, and here we are. I'm talking to my fellow scientists. I'm saying that the scientific method is biblical. What is the scientific method? You have a hypothesis. Let's go and test it. Do the experiment. And then be able to reach a conclusion. What is the biblical basis that I'm trying to do, uh, talk about? You go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 21. You can read that. But what I like there says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But test everything. And hold on to what is good. Test everything. And hold on to what is good. Our culture doesn't allow us to question anything. We just or whatever. And you see, a lot of these things are not, you can't question them. When I was reading the Bible the other time, uh, Acts chapter 19, and then um, the one who was defending the, the, the Artemis, the God of the Ephesians. And then this Bible says, something. And I said, wow. Let me read that. It just passed in uh, Acts chapter 19. He says, verse 35, at last the mayor was able to quieten them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down from heaven. Held down fell down to us from heaven. From where? Do we have something similar? Is anybody questioning it? Do you dare question it in Kumasi here? Huh? Do you dare? But don't you and I know that it's an artwork, which was what? They put gold on it. How can anybody begin to question? And, and sometimes when I preach, I say, free SHSA, but it's going to change the mindset. A lot of people are going to understand things so that they don't just, but the nature crash for Sometimes you get a very well-educated person who becomes a chief. One of the books I wrote, Can a Christian Become a Chief? And I'm going to speak about that on Thursday in Accra. And the question is, some of these people who are really well-learned, when they get there, they refuse to question anything. When they themselves know that these things are what? Are not right. The Ephesians were saying that Artemis fell down from where? From heaven. And we are also saying that Sikajakofi also fell down from heaven. And that the occupant of the golden stool, which fell down from heaven, is a powerful Asantehene. You dare not question it. I'm not saying that Rubian Sorenwangika can be any other But we need to begin to what? The Bible is saying, look, when you go to church, and someone is saying that he has a prophecy. He initially do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But test everything. And hold on to that which is good. That is what civilization is. That is what science has done. Experiment. Find out. And whether the thing is true or not. The fathers of modern science were Christians. Francis Schaeffer argues in his books. They were Christians. This is what they told themselves. Science and Christianity. The next slide says, If there is an intelligent God who has created an intelligent world, then we have every right to investigate the laws governing the world he has created. If there is an intelligent God who has created an intelligent world, then we have every right to investigate the laws governing the world he has created. That is why, what, Isaac Newton discovered the law of what? Gravity. Can you develop an aeroplane without having a machine that can overcome gravity? That is the basis of it. Archimedes principle. 
Can you develop a, a cruiser on the, on the seas that will not displace a certain amount of water equal to its own weight? Go to Lake Busunchi. So you see that we have a problem. People began to ask questions. And I think people were being challenged. Galileo, the founder of Modern Telescope, he said, I don't feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed me with sense, reason, and intellect has intended me to forego their use. I don't believe that the same God who has given me the intellect why do we get to places and people just say things as if we don't have any brains? Test everything and hold on to that which is good, the Bible has all says. And that is what science has been able to accomplish. And because they challenge themselves, they're able to do a lot of these things. Let's come to the Bible itself and what it tells us. The biblical foundation. I'm going in only two or three and then I'll finish. Biblical foundation number one. The dominion mandate. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. God says, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. But we are living in a continent. But we don't want to question it. You go on the Mampong Road and you see some, what, rocks that are lying on one another and they don't want to question it. You go to Bosunchi and they tell you, Bosum what? Bosumu or Chin. And they give you all kinds of explanation and we continue to accept these things as if they are the truth, which is not. It's a crater lake. So, we have a problem. A people whose whole understanding of the world around them is something that has to be what? Superstitious. And we continue to accept it. And therefore, we don't question anything. Let me give you one example. As an agriculturist, I know of this uh, a, a phenomenon we call allelopathy. Allelopathy is some chemicals in trees. When the roots are growing, they ooze a certain chemical. Some trees, not every tree does it. And there is this OD, if you have heard it, OD tree. You go to any OD tree and you see the bottles of wine all over the place. Why are they worshipping the OD tree? Because there is no weed under it. When you have an allelopathic plant, there is no weed that can germinate wherever the, uh, what? the, the roots are going and is using those chemicals. Nobody wants to question this. Nobody wants to find out. Why is it that this, only this tree, there seems to be nothing growing about it. Ah, we should worship it. We have a lot of things we need to think about. The Asante say that when Asante crosses the Prayer River, it's a taboo. And if he has to cross it, they must slaughter a sheep. That's fine. So he can't cross the river Pra without the sheep being slaughtered. What about if he flies? <laughs> and then the Chinese, the Chinese came and they brought their machines and they put them into the Pra and the other rivers. Did you ever hear the rivers complaining? The Chinese, if we make them all, and they come and they destroy our environment. We sit here and we have taboos. And nobody is questioning these things. You see, we, 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 are, we are developing a certain kind of thing. Some of us who are educated and so on, we know these things don't matter, but we don't also what, care whether they are. And the whole chunk of our people are just sitting there, and if you like, drawing us back, because the way they see things. You can come here and be comfortable and have a good worship, but go around and see the kind of worship that is going on. Is anybody questioning any of these things? How can we get out 
of our poverty. When we were kids, they told us. In fact, even today, some drivers, when they are driving and they get to where there is a river, Papa, why? Because in Suno, or there be Ojarinemba. In Suno, Ojarinemba. And still, there are some who are doing it. (laughs) Okay. So, in Africa, the basis of most superstitious beliefs is our reluctance to question the other time when my mother died and we were thinking about burying her on a Friday, they said, no, no, no. Don't say, ah, did the earth ever told you that when you bring a corpse into it on a Friday, it will reject it? So, we have a world view. God has given us the dominion mandate. Go and subdue the earth. And I put in here, nature is wild. And failure to find answers to nature will result in poverty. Nature is wild. It will take over. But somebody has to sit down and develop a chemical that can kill the weeds. And therefore he can, what? Make uh, what? Hundreds of acres of a farm. Because there's a chemical that can kill the weed. How long can you what? And the other time it's been used as an advert. I, I said, I have studied a Greek. I was born by a, a farmer. I have studied a Greek. I'm a farmer myself. I have studied a Greek. I have taught a Greek. I've become a full professor in a Greek. But when I go to the farm, I hold the cutlass and do what? And bend and, and, and weed like my great-great-grandfather did. What am I doing to myself? Doing the same things that my great-great-grandfather did. Our women have to take the brooms and bend. And nobody seems to be concerned about what? That they are developing what? Backache. Yapra, nuan, yapra. Sometimes people will develop machines that will what will pound fufu for us. Maybe I mean fufu or banana one, fifra tinwa, asana, 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 We have a problem. Anything that you try to do, a great bro, a great banche, whatever it is, is not good. It's a mentality problem. And not until God says, look, go and subdue the earth. Sometimes we really must thank God. Because if you hear about the disasters that nature is really causing in various places, in Africa we seem to be what? Just two or three days ago, Japan, go and see the floods, typhoons, and so on. What is anybody doing if these things were to come our way? Now, let's note this. From Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you go to Genesis chapter 3. And let all of us as Christians know that go and read your book. The Bible, chapter 3, and you see that when man fell, God did not change the dominion mandate. I have discussed this a lot in my book. God did not change the dominion mandate. What he said to the man is that because of what you have done, there is going to be what? Drudgery. What did drudgery say? How do you overcome drudgery? Develop technology. Because they are for one hour. hundred times what I'm able to weed. And I will get more tired than he can. He will. So God said, yes, there's going to be drudgery. 
But he never said that because man has sinned, he has taken away the dominion mandate. No. The dominion mandate was not touched. When you read the Bible more, you see that Nipah Bonin Dawson, there was so much and God said he was not happy that he had even created man, so he was going to destroy the whole earth. You You know that Noah's time. So there was flood. And God remembered Noah. When you read the story of Noah, you see that at the end of the flood, God came and renewed what? The dominion mandate. When everything had been destroyed and Noah alone with just the animal species and so on, God came back. And then he gave this ruling. Let me read it from the Bible. I think Noah chapter 6 or thereabout. He says, so long as the earth exists, sea time and harvest time will never cease. That if you make the effort, there will be results. Sea time and harvest time will never cease. So even at the time of Noah, God renewed the dominion mandate that I still have given the earth to you for you to go and overcome and subdue the earth and make use of the all that I have created. Don't look at rocks and say that Don't look at choir which is all those kinds of things. Please, you need to learn some of our language and the kinds of things that our people know. Otherwise, you will never, never appreciate and understand the way our people think. If you can read the tree Bible, buy the declot Bible and read side by side and improve your tree reading. And begin to understand our people and how they think. Otherwise, we are not going anywhere. But the mindset, really, is not a mindset that is prepared to bring us prosperity. The governments can do whatever they want to do. But the people will never help us to move on. And we need to understand this. The four broad drudgery, to avoid drudgery, uh, we must develop technology. The dominion mandate and Noah have already talked about that. As long as the earth lives. Look, even in the Bible, Genesis chapter 11, one of the Bible passages you think is too bad. He said, let us build what? A tower. A skyscraper. At that time, how many years ago? 4,000 or so years ago. And people are not even building. You know Atakwame? Atakwame died. Some of you don't know Atakwame died. <laughs> Atakwame died is the madhouse. Some are building what? With palm branches and so on and so on. Go around and you see. And at that time, they were building skyscrapers. Look at the technology that they had developed. The Bible says bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Eh? 4,000 or more years ago, they have moved away from what? Using tar instead of what? Mortar. And using what? Burned bricks. And burned bricks are now what? A a, a great thing to, to be able to do. The Bible is telling us that this technology had long been developed. And yet, when you come to our part of the world, it's not that the materials are not there. But we are not. Even our educational system doesn't really what? Push us to become the people that will really what? Be innovative. And begin to think and create new things that will solve our problems. The only thing there is that I've put down here, God was not pleased with the pride. He did not hate the technology. The dangers of humanism already were indicated here. People began to think that we can be on our own. We don't need God. We can avoid that error. The other major point which I want to bring out is the creative ability of God in man. The creative ability of God in man. When you read Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 to 20, it tells us how God created everything that we see. Proverbs chapter 3, 
verse 19 to 20. What does it say? By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, he created the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep fountains of the earth burst forth, and the dew settles beneath the night sky. By what? Three things. Wisdom, understanding, and what? Knowledge. God used this to create everything. Science still doesn't understand the universe. God used wisdom. These attributes of God. Now what is interesting is that when you come to the same Proverbs, chapter 24, Proverbs 24, verse 3 to 4, it tells us, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, each rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. The same three things. Wisdom, insight or understanding, and knowledge. What is the link there? The creative ability of God. He has given to whom? To man. To be able to solve his problems. The creative ability of God. Wisdom. We need wisdom. We need knowledge. And when we have got knowledge, we should be able to what? Analyze the knowledge and understand it. That is insight. And then when we apply it, it shows our wisdom. God used these three attributes. And he has given to man, man who has nowhere to sleep. He uses wisdom, knowledge, and insight, and he creates a beautiful place and is enjoying it. So those of us who lived in the villages, this, this one, I don't know, I don't think many of you will appreciate it, but you know the rat, Okusi. The way you did, uh, I think some of you have lived in the village. <laughs> the Okusi uh, makes the, what? A hole in the ground. And Okusi has developed what? A security system which nobody can really beat. The main hole, he will put what? Little pebbles and uh, what? Uh, palm, yeah, and all those things. You, you, Gamai, you are talking about Okusi. <laughs> okay? But Okusi has what we call Tohe. Tohe is the security system of Okusi. You will never go and see that he has a number of holes, but you will never see the Tohe. And when things are hard, and you see the, what? That the, the ahini is being pulled apart. Then he knows that there is danger. And whilst you are all standing, waiting for the okusi to come through the hole, boom. Because he, he, he does it and leaves only a thin layer. So when it pushes him with the head, he jumps and he goes away. And you never get okusi when he goes through the toilet. Look at the brain of Okusi compared to the brain power of human beings. Go and look at elephants and go and look at the cows who are huge. Go to Mayanka and see the brain, the brain quantity of brain material of, of, of Nanchi compared to human beings. And then you can see the power that God has put into human beings to be able to solve our problems. The creative ability of God in man to be able to build a shelter for himself, to be able to solve his own sanitation problem, to be able to solve his own poverty problems. If we are reading this from the Bible, why can we in Africa justify the poverty that has engulfed us to this? That the God we believe in has given us the Holy Spirit. No, you see, some of us, you, we, we, we have made the Christianity into something like as if it has nothing to do with our, our day-to-day living. Do you know the Holy Spirit inspires us? When you read Exodus, I think, 33 or 31, he said, I have given Oholiab and Bezalel my spirit so that they can design all kinds of things so that you can build a tabernacle to glorify my name. Who is doing it? The Holy Spirit. 
It's only here that we begin to think that the only thing the Holy Spirit does for us is what? Is to help us to speak in tongues and to give prophecies and so on. But the Holy Spirit is a friend. He works with us and He inspires us. He gives us ideas. Except that you don't want to depend on Him. Except that you don't think that you have a problem that He should help you to find a way out. That is why God has given us the Holy Spirit as a friend to inspire us. One passage which I love to read all the time is First Samuel chapter 11. Sometimes the broker that I make is what? Are you angry enough for a change? Last Sunday, that was the message I gave. Are you angry enough for a change? In First Samuel chapter 11, the Ammonites came and they said they would take away they wanted the people of Jabesh Gilead to be their slaves. They said, we can't fight you. They said, okay, if you can't fight us, line up. We'll take the eye of every one of you. They said, oh, please, let us go and mention it to our new king. And if they cannot come and deliver us, then we'll line up. We'll give you one week. Go. And when Saul was coming from the bush, he heard everybody crying. What is happening? They said, hey, Assembly and Tibida. The Ammonites said they will what? And, and, and the Bible says, we will do this. I will, I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all Israel. The poverty of Africa is a disgrace. Who is angry enough to be able to change things? And then Saul comes and he hears this thing. And then you go to verse 6. And the Bible says, let me read from, Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen. And when he returned to town, he asked, what's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Verse 6. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. And we want to see change. We are Christians. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does not only reside in the four walls of a chapel. He resides outside and when we see people jumping all kinds of things and nothing is going on. We, we become angry at the politicians who are not doing the right thing that they should do. We become angry at the policemen and so on. And the church must make its voice heard that there has to be a change. A change in our attitude. Otherwise we never get out of our poverty. Saul was angry. Who came upon him? The Holy Spirit came upon him in power and he was angry. The Holy Spirit came upon David in power and he said, I'll fight this man. Who is this man? The Holy Spirit came upon Jonathan and he said, Nothing hinders the Lord to save by many or by few. I will go up there and attack these Philistines. Who is angry enough? about the poverty of Africa and the kind of things that we are all groping through. We have all the potential. Take us to Abruzzi and you see the way we perform. And yet when we come here, we live in a situation as if we don't have the brain power which everybody else has. The Holy Spirit is not only for speaking in tongues, it's not only for giving prophecies, it's also for you, enabling you to solve your financial and other problems that confront you. The creative ability of God in man. The final thing that I want to point out is that Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm, I now have a formula as to how I'm going to deal with the world. I will appoint one man and deal with that one man and the descendants of this one man and make them become an example for the rest of the world to see how I want them to solve their problems. Who is that one man? Abraham. The father of the faithful. So God calls him. Genesis chapter 12. And he says, I will bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse them. I will make you a blessing. And through you, a lot of people will be blessed. Last two weeks I was speaking on radio, why God changed his name from Abraham to what? Abraham. Last week I was speaking about Jacob. Why did God change his name from Jacob, a thief, to whom? Israel. 
And that man's name still bears the name of the country that God chose from the very beginning. So the, the Bible tells us, Genesis 12, the covenant blessings. Genesis chapter 13, it tells us, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Genesis 14, I like that passage in, well, let me read that, I'm, I'm finishing. Genesis 14, 22 to 24. And we should be able to get to that stage and tell people of what our experience with God has been. The king of Sodom comes to uh, Abraham and says, Oh, take this and then let me also take this and so let's share. And Abraham comes in and tells the king of Sodom, 14.22 Genesis. Yes. Abraham 22, where is that? Abraham replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal tongue from what belongs to you, so that you might not say, I made Abraham rich. I like that. Abraham knew the source of his wealth. Because he's serving the God who says, I give you the ability to create wealth. And Christians must come and demonstrate to the world. I don't think you see Timothy had the obedience and We want to see people who have labored and they can show the results of their labor in spite of all the difficulties and be able to demonstrate that this is God who has made me who I am and not anybody. I did not take anybody's word. Because this passage had always been misinterpreted. I think it's Proverbs 4.23. Whoever told you, you say, and yet our people love it. You hear it all over the place, in songs, in preachings, and all over the place. But the Bible says, he has no sorrows to it. When God blesses you, he has no sorrows to it. We need to be able to demonstrate to the world. Who told you that if you are lazy, God will bless you with wealth? And then you say, Now the declared Bible, they have changed it. Because it was wrong for that interpretation to go around. Especially among people who are poor. And then, now, So, Abraham had this right. When you come to Genesis chapter 15, which every evangelical Christian knows, Abraham, uh, Genesis 15 says, And he believed God, and he credited this unto him as what? As righteousness. This is where sometimes I have problems with my own scripture union. God bless this country with scripture union. Open our eyes to understand what it means to be a born again Christian. Faith in Jesus Christ. Being declared righteous. But that's where Christian Union ended. Did not teach us that the Bible also talks about what? Being blessed materially. So you can get a very good Christian. Because he doesn't think that money is also part of God's blessings to his children. They have good moral lives. They read their Bible and all that. But we need to move on to the next level. Of getting God's blessings, which he gives unto his children. Abraham got it. And Abraham fulfilled Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. I mentioned it yesterday. A righteous person leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Because Isaac also became rich. What is your succession plan? How are you raising the next generation? The verse that is governing me in the ministry that I have established is Psalm 71, I think, verse 19. I say, oh Lord, when I was young, you were always with me. Now that I am old and gray, help me to impact the next generation before I go. And I'm going to do it until my tongue lies cold in death. But the next generation must understand that God wants to bless Africa. Because it's clearly Africa. God wants to bless us. And God is not happy with the poverty that we see ourselves in. Because the Bible talks about it. Abraham planned his succession well. And Isaac took over. Digging the wells of the fathers. And he went back and dug the wells that the father had. Because the greatest commodity at that time was water. 
And he needed water to be able to take care of his flock. There was conflict with the Philistines. But he kept on moving until he got to where? Rehoboth. And he said, now the Lord has given us a place of rest. That was Isaac. Was he worth his salt? Yes. His father made sure that he married a Christian woman. And he came to the house. And they built. Yesterday we talked about it. Twenty years. And yet Isaac was still praying for his wife. And God answered his prayer. What about Jacob? Yes, he started rough. But because of the covenant blessings. God's faithfulness. And he also became rich. And he came back and continued. And when things have gone round as if it was all wrong, he gave birth to twelve sons. And they became the foundation of the nation Israel. And that nation continues to exist. Somebody has said, if you want to prove that God exists, look at the nation Israel. The fact that that nation still exists, and is still among the committee of nations, and is still one of the most prosperous nations on earth, is that God is a faithful God. And because of his promise to Abraham, he remains the same God. What caused me to look at all of these things is Genesis chapter 13 verse, sorry, Galatians chapter 3 verse 14. He said, he redeemed us Gentiles that the blessings of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So when I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the blessings of Abraham, both spiritual and material, shall become mine. And I should work hard for them. Because if God wants to give me only heaven, then the day I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I should have died. Because if I don't die, I don't go to heaven. But he wants me to live. So that I can live a life, a life that gives glory to Him. All that we are doing tonight is to tell you that there's so much that we need to do. All around us is a mindset that doesn't help us to get out of our poverty. But God has given the church as, as, as His instrument for change. And He's not going to use any other instrument but the church. And we in our churches and in our own lives must demonstrate to the world that we have a God who is faithful. He has a God who is interested in our welfare. He has a God who told Abraham, I will bless you and anyone who curses you, I will curse. And he is faithful to his promise. And therefore we are going to live that way and give him the glory that he deserves. Is that going to be your resolve? God bless you if you are going to do that. Amen.